Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful day to come and praise you, to love you and be loved by you, to share in your word, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tomorrow's Memorial Day. So we want to recognize, pray for, remember all of our men and women who have served or who will serve or are serving. God uses them to keep us safe in a fallen world. Amen. My grandpa was uh, highly decorated in World War II, fought in the Battle of the Bulge and couple of silver stars and cool stories about telephone poles being shot out from under him and stuff like that. Used to love to watch the movie with him, The Battle of the Bulge. Now I think about him every time it comes on this time of year. <laughs> he was my hero, you know, quiet, humble man, just wonderful. Tavana knew him. But we want to Thankfully, he did not die in battle, and, but there's a lot who did. And we want to always remember them and be thankful for them. Tavana and I hung our flag yesterday, proudly flying our driveway, <laughs> our little part. But speaking of, of those who have given all, I want to talk a little bit today about the one who gave all in the greatest war of all time. A spiritual battle where he obtained the victory for us all over Satan, over death, hell, and the grave. And I want to pose a question to everybody today. In light of all that he has done for us, do we trust him? Hopefully the answer is yes, but let's just look into that a little bit. Think about that a little bit. And hopefully today, tonight, we'll all go back and when we have a quiet moment with him, we'll <coughs> affirm this with him, reiterate the fact that we are trusted in him and we love him. And we're thankful for his sacrifice on our behalf. But we do need to trust in him and his word and, and his promises regarding us. Amen. Been talking a lot about those promises. The truth is all sin. Every open door to the enemy that sin allows in our lives comes from unbelief. Or a lack of trusting God. Joshua 1.9 says. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be ye dismayed. For the Lord your God. Is with you wherever you go. Second Samuel 7.28 and now, O oh Lord God, you are that God, and your words be true, and you have promised this goodness to your servants. 
I like Psalms 9.10. And, and they that know your name will put their trust in you. You know, our God goes by a lot of different names. And each one of those names describes what He does. I have a book about the names of God. And when I... Uh, it's very anointed. And uh, I took a guy to get that same book. And when he touched it, he... It about knocked him backwards because we've been talking about it and God just confirmed that. Anyway, it was really cool. Anyway, that scripture, Psalm 910, it goes on and says, They that know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken them that seek you. Remember what I say about the relationship and our part to play. I guarantee you, when we seek God with our whole heart, He is found by us, and He wants to show us great things, wonderful things, things that we did not know. He gets so excited about someone who just esteems Him highly, exalts Him, and magnifies Him. You know, our lives are like a... a, uh, a uh, what do you call those things that go up and down? A seesaw, right? I always talk about that. You can only have one end of the seesaw up at a time, you know. And when we magnify our problems, our situations, our circumstances, really just self. Anything to do with self is magnified in our mind. And, you know, whatever we focus on becomes bigger, doesn't it? We make a mountain out of a molehill. That's where that... That's where that saying comes from. And whatever we meditate on and think about, whether it's an offense, uh, you know, or something, something else, whatever it is, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> but it works the same way with God when we focus. You know, you might have a lot of problems. You might have a lot of issues, a lot of things, situations, circumstances. But if you magnify the promise of God in His Word, regarding that situation, regarding you, and you esteem His Word as true, more so than you do the report of the world, of the doctor, of the banker, it will begin to diminish that situation, that problem, and God will be exalted. And that's when your faith will be released for the thing you're hoping for that you have that aha moment. I see it, I see it. God promised it. And he's faithful, and I'm just going to believe that instead of this, and I'm going to think on nothing but the manifestation of the good thing that he promised me, and watch what happens. It's amazing. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Some of the hardest times ministering to people come when... I can't get people to stop reasoning God. They try to figure it all. Yeah, but, yeah, but. I say, you just got to get your butt out of the way. Faith has nothing to do with your butt. (laughs) And you know, sometimes the more educated people are, the harder it is for them to, to come to terms with simple faith. The kingdom of God is very simple. God is not complicated. It's not easy, but it is simple. The simple fact is, 
when we agree with God, things go better. <laughs> when we box with God, we walk around with black eyes. <laughs> He's got a much longer reach than we do. Amen. For if we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that. That is what we're called to do. That is what we should do. And when we do that, don't go by what we see because the world does that. We know that there's another world bigger and better than the world that we see that actually created this world and it's all around us. That song right there that there are angels all around, that's a fact. You know, there's demons here too. And just ignoring that fact doesn't make it go away, just makes them have better access to you. But we are aware of the enemy's tactics and we've learned how to resist him. Because the promise is when we resist him, he will flee. So, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. But we like to lean on our own understanding anyway, don't we? I don't know, it just, it just, uh, it just seems natural, because it is natural. And we don't want to be super, we don't want to be natural, we want to be supernatural, because that's who we have become. You know, God didn't change your life. He exchanged it. That old man is dead, if you've really been born again. And now, the life that you now live in these mortal bodies is Christ in you. And the same power that raised him from the dead is what's giving life to this mortal body. Have you ever done that thing where you, you call it an ST plunge or whatever, where you fall backwards into somebody's arms or a group where you have to trust them? <laughs> and they're supposed to catch you, right? <laughs> it's not fun, is it? <laughs> In this world, we've come to see that no one is, is going to look out for us quite like, like we will. You know, I know that when people talk about business, nobody's going to take care of your business like you will. No one's going to take care of your things like you will. No one's going to care quite like you will if it's not their stuff or their job or their business or whatever. And that seems to be true in this world, unfortunately, but we're... We're supposed to always see the bright side if we can. Uh, try to believe and try to just, well, just operate in love, right? And so that's our, that's our job. And we have a, a supernatural ability to do this. Love is an abiding fruit of the Spirit. And when we practice it, just like faith, it will grow. It will strengthen in our lives, just like a muscle. Because I care about people. And it's not about being right. It's about them being reconciled with God and His truth. You know, like we talk about here all the time, the facts are irrelevant when, it, when they disagree with the truth. Facts can change all the time. The truth never changes. <laughs> 
Well, we do get into self-reliance. We get disappointed. We get hurt. We get battle scars and we build up walls and we shouldn't. We're supposed to guard our hearts above all things. And some people think that means erect a wall around it to protect. Don't let anybody in anymore. That's not what that means. It means let go of all those hurts and offenses. Give them to God and trust him with them. And we just forgive immediately and move on and just continue walking this walk of love, this Christian life that we are called to. Because God sees a lot further than we do. He's a lot better at dealing with things and his people than we are. And uh, it's a lot better just to do it that way, isn't it? But God says, trust him. Stop being so independent. Just be dependent upon him. We have to come into this relationship that we talked about with the one person who truly can be trusted. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But because we can't see him, we struggle with that sometimes. And that's why we relate to the natural more when we don't spend a lot of time with God. You see that sign in front of churches sometimes. Seven days without God makes one week. W-E-A-K, right? And that's true. You know, we should never go seven days or even seven hours without God. When we leave the church, we shouldn't leave him here, you know. And that's uh, that's what a lot of people do. Instead of just spending a little quality time with him every day, every hour, you know. Really, it's just getting our mind wrapped around the fact that he is always with us and always wants to be of help and uh and the Holy Spirit is always there to remind us of everything that the Lord has taught us. And uh, sometimes we just forget to ask, you know. And God is not rude. God is not going to impose himself on us. He will nudge us sometimes and say, hey, you know, why aren't you trusting me? Why, aren't you, why don't you come and spend some time with me? But when we resist, he'll just wait until we come back around. And we will. <laughs> But today, people are still not trusting God. In the world, we see it, and it's going to get worse. Uh, The church is going to get stronger, the real church. But the majority of the world is going to continue to fall away and to get worse in their behavior. And uh, the worse in their treatment toward Christians. And uh, because when they see you, uh, it reminds them... um, of what they should be doing and they're not and they think it's you that's judging them and you're not but it's the conviction of the holy spirit you know and jesus said because they hated me they'll hate you if they listen to me they'll listen to you so don't be moved by it you're in good company whatever the situation is as long as you're with god because he's definitely with you A lot of people, you know, I go to different funerals and things like that. I haven't been doing, I got, had one, that was, someone asked me to do, but I couldn't do it recently. But anyway, the people are always, uh, people are always broken and really wanting God. But when you dig in a little bit, what they really want is the, the Savior part. Sounds good. 
You know, all the love and forgiveness and all that sounds good, but the Lordship is really hard on a lot of people. I had a very good friend of mine who on my rodeo committee who I really think a lot of, great guy. He said, you know, I... I, I, you know, I, I believe, I, I like Jesus and everything. I church, I don't know, I don't go very often, but because I just got a problem with them telling me what to think. And see, right away, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, oh, be your own person, do this and that. And no, but it's not true, because see, our thinking is all screwed up when we only allow the world to teach us what to think. Everything that goes in these eye and ear gates is what has formed our opinions of everything. And they're mostly wrong. This is the truth. And see, when you come to know that this is the only truth, Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, right? And without that truth, no one's going to come to the Father. So knowing that, how can you not want for God to tell them what to think? (laughs) To help them to relearn all the things that they thought they knew until they line up with God because that's what's going to save them. So, you know, you see a lot of people with, you know, we we always talk about the fact that the Bible talks about it at length. Jeremiah said it's not within man to direct his own steps. And we know that that's, that's the truth. Because man's way is always going to lead us astray. Because the devil's going to get a, a lie in there somewhere and cause him to drift off course. And so you got all these opposing viewpoints out in the world and they all base it on what they think is right. Some of them are certain. And they're wrong. So often they're wrong, just dead wrong. But so convinced and not even willing to hear God's truth and uh, the only way to even maybe get it to him is to take God out of it for a minute and just apply reason to his truth and hopefully they'll latch onto that but I'm not going to ever do that so what do you do you pray right pray for everybody pray for our government pray for our leaders pray for everybody because God will is that all be saved. Jesus died for everybody. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to live godly lives. But not all are saved because it takes that faith response. We have to come to know the Lord in truth and not just uh, as a Savior, but the Lordship is a part of our salvation too. And I want to read something out of John chapter 8, the first 11 verses. I want to talk about a little bit, I'll just spend the next 10 minutes or so going over this. I want you to see how amazing our Lord Jesus is. How awesome it is and how how he went about obtaining this beautiful victory for us and his great sacrifice on our behalf. John chapter 8, verse 2. And early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again into the temple 
And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Thought it took two. (laughs) They caught her in the act. Where's the other one? You know, it's illegal for both. Verse 6, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? The next verse, verse 6. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Can you remember, can you think of anything else that God did with that finger? And so there he is. They're telling him the law and what should be done. And he remembers writing those laws. Jesus had been teaching everywhere about the love of God. The mercy of God, the forgiveness of God towards sinners, hadn't he? This teaching made him very popular among the people. Why? Because all they had heard for 1,500 years before Jesus was the harsh, unyielding condemnation of the law. Do good, get good. Do bad, get beat. They believed God was angry with them. So they listened to Jesus with great enthusiasm. (laughs) And he preached the grace of God. He preached the mercy of God and they loved it. But still, the law did say that certain sins were to be punished by death. Right? And the scribes and the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these Jews, they were mostly evil men, to be honest. These religious leaders of the day, and they wanted to kill Jesus. John eight forty two. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. So some of these leaders, they believed, many believed him. But... Because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So instead of trusting God, they were more afraid of man. They believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but they were more afraid of what would happen right now in the natural. And for it, they were willing to see Jesus killed. The fear of man always brings a snare. Snare of the devil. Verse 43. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. So they were trying to set a trap. They kept on accusing Jesus of condoning sin. And even being a sinner himself, didn't they? He was always ministering to the sinners. But Jesus... 
turned every one of these accusations into a victory for the side of God's amazing grace and mercy. See, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the foundational scripture of the ministry that became this church, Grace and Truth Church. Tavana and I formed that ministry in 2010. Based on that very scripture right there, because it's so important. It's where the transition took place. From law to grace, to this church age. From the law to the church age, the age of grace and truth. But this time, the Jews, they felt like they had Jesus cornered. If Jesus held out for forgiveness and refused to stone the woman, he would be be rebelling against the law of Moses. And they knew the law, didn't they? I mean, they had, these guys had memorized the first five books of the Bible. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. (laughs) That's the seventh commandment. And Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Well, these legalists had already uh, forgotten half the law, didn't they? (laughs) What hypocrites they were. According to the law right there. Jesus not agreeing with these Jews would give legal grounds for them to really kill Jesus. Do you see the situation he was in? I'm trying to just sit on it for a minute. I want you to get the gravity of it. On the other hand, if he stoned this woman as the law demanded, then all the people who had fallen in love with the message of love and grace and mercy would forsake him. It looked like they had him trapped, didn't it? Either way he went, they were going to be able to get him. But God's never going to be outwitted by the devil. (laughs) Watch this. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. (laughs) Verse 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. They began to leave, beginning with the oldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Verse 10, When Jesus had lifted himself up, And saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He wouldn't condone the sin. Nor did he go against the law. He just said, The one without sin, 
cast the first stone. And as everyone there came under conviction, starting with the oldest to the youngest, they all fell away and went on about their business. And no one could fault Jesus for not stoning the woman. Jesus was walking a tightrope. A tightrope of the two covenants. You see what I'm talking about? How amazing he was. He was justified in his forgiveness of this woman. Because Matthew 11.13 says that all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So now Jesus was operating under the dispensation of grace. Everything up to then had been prophesying about his coming. A lot of people didn't know that, but he surely did. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 3.2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That's what Paul said, not the law. Not the law. See, grace, grace had arrived. Just like the song says. And his name is Jesus. You can't separate the two. But the law at that particular time was still intact for the world until he would finally take it away, nailing it to the cross, right? That's Colossians 2.14. But we also know from 1 Timothy 1.9 that the law is not made for a righteous man. Right? And Jesus was totally righteous, wasn't he? <laughs> so Jesus operated in the superior law of grace. But he had to navigate these waters very carefully because the law was still intact. Did you see how amazing he was? Is? He wrote the law. He, he knew his intent when he wrote it. He knew the Father's and the Holy Spirit's heart because they're all one and the same. He knew he always desired mercy and love over the law and sacrifice. And he showed it perfectly to this sinful woman, didn't he? Do we know what happened to that woman? No. But we do know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails, does it? I like to think she went on and became a believer. But what's the point? Well, it's to reveal a need for God's people, for God's church today. Our need to know Jesus better. The real Jesus, not a God of our imagination, but the God of the Bible. For the world to know him, seen through eyes with the new covenant lenses, not a mixture. We know that that's an unhealthy prescription, don't we? He says you can't put... New wine into that old wineskin. He's talking about the two covenants that we've distinguished between today. Because it'll, it's, it's too much. <laughs> that old rigid wineskin. See, they're supple and, 
and and like skin when you put when you put the wine in a new wine skin, but after a while it gets old, it's full of wine and it, it hardens, and now you fill it up with that new wine and that it begins to expand and it'll burst that that thing like a like pottery, can't contain it. <laughs> It's so much better, so much greater. We need to remember how Jesus reacted to sinners in his day and those who sinned against him, even the ones who killed him as he hung there on the cross. And whenever we have an opportunity to be offended, Today, when we leave here, <laughs> will be your first chance. Hopefully, it won't be while you're still here. Although, I'm used to it, so don't worry. I still love you, and I'm still praying for you. But, we have to practice what we preach. Practice what we've learned, what we've come to know is the real Jesus, right? Not the God of the world's imagination, or the one that's fine with everything they did. Was Jesus fine with this woman committing adultery? Not at all. Go and sin no more. (gasps) You judge me? Yeah. I judge that sin. Love you. The world doesn't understand that. You know why? They identify by their sin. If you hate that sin, well, you hate me. No. I know... See, we know who God created them to be. Without all the things that are riding around, <laughs> the demons and who spoke it into their lives and attached themselves to them. If they could only see in the spiritual realm, if God would just lift back the veil and let them see, they'd be like, oh, my God, get that thing off of me. Okay, let me pray for you. You can be free right now. But as long as people keep identifying with their sin, they're going to keep saying you're a hater for hating their sin or even calling it sin, you see. But we can't change what God says about things. Sin is sin. God's never changed. He doesn't evolve. He's not gotten more modern. This book isn't an old book written by men about God that needs to be updated and was never meant to be taken literally. Yes, quite Spiritually, but literally. You say, well, I can't forgive like Jesus. (laughs) Again, we need to understand our salvation better. And we will, because we have it in us. Just like patience, faith, love is in us. Forgiveness is all just a choice. Just like love is a choice, not a feeling. If more people knew this, there would be no divorces. So I tell everybody I marry. With God, there's a 100% success rate. How can you say that when there's 50% divorce rate in the church, just like in the world? I don't care if they go to church. I'm talking about those who put God in the center of their life. Center of their marriage. They choose to do things his way because maybe 50%, you want a a number, a percentage, maybe 50% of the time 
Love is not a feeling. <laughs> it's a choice. And if people who were married knew that and just agreed with it, then you wouldn't have the problems that we have. Well, I have a lot more, but I just feel like that's time to stop. I don't want you to get overwhelmed. I think we're at a good place right there. And um, I said I was going to get into the, the gifts of the Spirit today. And, uh, well, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read over those because I'm still... I'm still in line with that. I'm, I just needed to back up a little bit today and remind us of the covenant of the, the dispensation of time in which we live, lest anyone should try to slip back into legalism or, or into this greasy grace, they call it, where everything's okay. Neither are true, right? Neither are true. And we just need to know, be aware of, of the real Jesus. And it's all about Him. Whatever He did, that's what we want to do. But without the power that is given to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to do a lot of the things that God has called us to do in these last days. And so I want to encourage you all to continue praying Seeking God about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And anything you need or want to know, let me know. I'm here for you for that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, Paul lists out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to read them starting at verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit, capital S, the utterance of wisdom. So wisdom, we all have some wisdom, and especially if we have God, if we have His Word, wisdom is something that we have. Just, But there is also a special impartation of wisdom, like, just like... Um, you could be in a setting, in a group, and when, when there's a, a big dispute, say, and you're just sitting there quietly praying, God, give me a word for this moment. And He'll give you a supernatural impartation of wisdom for that very moment. And when people hear it, they go, oh, yeah, that's God. That's First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. That the next one, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to that same spirit. Just like wisdom, and these are closely related in the same situation, he might just give you supernatural understanding, knowledge about something, how to solve a problem, how to fix something, how to, you know, you just have some information there, it's downloaded automatically. God has just given you a gift of knowledge for that special impartation from the Holy Spirit. And it's always, all of the gifts, all of these nine gifts are always meant to edify the body of Christ. Okay? So that's one of the things you're always looking for. Because, and I'll tell you why in a second. 
to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, we've all been given the measure of faith when we're born again, right? So, this is again a, a different, a different, um, this is a gift of faith where you, you might have someone, like a lot of times uh, I've been with Andrew uh, Womack and uh, like, serving as an usher or whatever in one of his meetings. And, uh, and he'll, say, he'll tell people, listen, they'll have a, a serious ailment or something. And, and, and he'll, he, he doesn't just pay, pray for people. He talks to them first. And that's why I've, I learned that because really the same prayer, the same timing for prayer is not good for everybody. You need to know where they're at first in their mind, in their faith, their level of, you know, you need to know what they believe and what they and what they don't, and what sort of uh, unbelief they're dealing with, and so forth. And he'll tell people sometimes, if I can just get you to put your unbelief in neutral, <laughs> I'll use my faith to pull you on in. And sometimes, you know, and that's why when, when you see people uh, that just, they, they, you, you know if you could just, this person will just agree with you in prayer, you feel like something's going to happen. And that's because they may be walking in this gift of faith where they have a supernatural ability to just really turn on faith because they, their hope rises up for you or for a group or for a thing. And their hope can rise up and they can see it clearly where they can really release faith in that and you can agree with this person and really get something done. They can... They can, they can really be empowered. This is a gift of the Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. You see this when, when the, the uh, evangelist comes to town and uh, 80 people get up out of their wheelchairs. You know what I mean? And there have been times in the, in the past where people have done unscrupulous things and where things weren't real. But believe me, there are very many that is very real. And this still happens today. It doesn't happen in the United States like it used to because we're spoiled. We have too many things and too much competing for our time and attention. And, uh, and, but you see it in more impoverished areas where they walk two days to get to a meeting, you know, and... Uh, and just say, you know, like the, like the woman with the issue of blood, if I can just get to the man of God, I'm going to get my healing. And man, things happen. But there are people with the gift of healing. You know, God has used me in lots of these different gifts. And see, they're, they're all given by the Holy Spirit. And He gives them as He chooses. You might have a gift. You might walk in an office uh, as an apostle or as an evangelist or as a pastor or teacher. But... The Holy Spirit will give and take these gifts as He chooses to be a benefit to the body of Christ. To another, verse 10, the working of miracles. So, again, these are closely related. These are broken up into two two groups, really. You would call one the power gifts. That's miracles and healing. And the others are uh, more along the lines of knowledge and information, wisdom and knowledge another is prophecy even preaching is a form of prophecy but you know there have been times um, 
It doesn't happen to me a lot, but when God will, you know, I've been, I've ministered at other churches where they just came up and, and one by one, God gave me a word, you know. I think it may have taken place here once or twice, but it doesn't happen a lot with me. But but uh, God has used me, and I've definitely seen a lot of people that walk in this gift, and they'll just get a prophetic word, and they'll just be straight from the throne of God. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So this is, uh, in the King James, it's called discerning of spirits or discernment of spirits. And uh, <laughs> remember what I told you a while ago about these gifts are always for edification, to build up and encourage and do good for the body of Christ, right? I've had, we've been in settings before when people said, oh, they walked in the, the gift of discerning of spirits or discernment, and really all they had was a spirit of criticism and judgment. And that's not the same thing. <laughs> And so that's why I made a point of saying, remember, remember, that's how you can always judge things. It's always to build up, never to criticize. If God shows me something bad about somebody, and a lot of times he won't, depending on my attitude, I've noticed. But when I'm really walking in love, I've been spending a lot of time with God, and my heart is really good. Sometimes he'll show me negative things about people, spiritual things. And... That's when he's trusting me at that time <laughs> because he knows that I'm not going to ever use it to hurt someone or to speak ill of someone, but to pray for them. And if he gives me an open door to minister to them and, and privately or quietly, but you see, that's, that's discern, discerning of spirits as well. And other various kinds of tongues. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit... The ability, a prayer language, a supernatural prayer language, the ability to speak in tongues and to pray in tongues comes with it. It's like buying new tennis shoes. The tongues come with it. It's like, do I have to do that? No, you get to. Uh, do You know, is it going to overtake me in Kroger's sometime and I'm going to grab the mic and, 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 and just God's going to do weird stuff and embarrass me? No, never. He's never going to do that. It's really not even for the church, your prayer language. It's for you. It's for your prayer closet. It's for you and God. And it's really, really powerful. It cuts through all the flesh. And if you normally have to pray for an hour before you get rid of you and just get into a place where you're with God, you can cut right through that by praying in the Spirit. And I highly recommend that everybody pray in the Spirit as much or more than they do in their own tongue. But this is a different, this is a different gift of speaking uh, in other tongues. And this is for the church. And whenever someone has a, an utterance, you see, first of all, God is a God of order. And have you ever been in a church where people just stood up nearly willy and randomly in the middle of the sermon and all this and just began saying, thus saith the Lord and all that? That's out of order. That's not God. They may have a word from God, but they need to check themselves because they're in the flesh. They can wait their turn. If God has something to say, he's not, he's not going to be uh, rude about it. You know what I'm saying? And they can really pass that message on to the pastor and they can get an uh, opportunity to speak if he allows. And, but in a church setting, God is definitely a God of order. And, and, but someone may have an utterance. And if they do... If I recognize that, I will definitely allow that. But right away, there's going to be a translation, which is the very next, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So that's what this is talking about. In a church setting, someone will have a word in tongues, 
And then either that same person or another person will have the interpretation. Sometimes that person will just sit down. They don't, they don't know what God was saying. But there'll be somebody else in that. If it's God, there'll be somebody else in that room. And they may not even realize. They'll just stand up and they'll say, this is what God said. I heard it clearly. Nobody else did, but they did. That's the gift of interpretation of tongues. A lot of times it's the same person. If you ever hear a pastor praying in tongues and speak, sometimes you get excited and they might just do a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that, although it's not for the church. But if you hear a pastor give a word in tongues, a lot of times he'll interpret that same word. And that's very common and that's a real thing too. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on those because I said last week that I was going to. If you're like me, it just piques your interest and make you go study them out and ask, start praying about them. Because God definitely has a lot to share with you about this stuff. Amen? All right, we'll talk about it some more. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome day and for these beautiful people that love you so. And we thank you, Lord, for teaching us and helping us protect this truth, this word, these awesome teachings from you in our hearts. Allow them to take root and bear fruit in our lives so that we are helped healed, empowered, loved, and prospered by you and help others to receive the same from you. In Jesus' name, amen.